And the same would be true for a business person. If you took a saleswoman and you asked her, what does it take to be successful? She would probably tell you, I've got a new client I'm working on, or there's a new uh, uh, sales goal to increase my sales by X percent. All three of those, you take any person in any arena, and there's a common denominator of what it takes to be successful. You know what it is? It's goals. World Cup's here, so I'll say it this way. It's goals. Come on. Give me a little love. Give me a little love. So what I mean by this is they they have a target or an idea in their mind that they know where they're going and they know where they want to get to. They've got it crystallized in their brain of what they want to accomplish. So let me just throw it in our face right here as we start this morning. What's our goal in life? Where's the end place we want to be? What's the final resting place of our lives? And I look back and the legacy that we want to leave, what is it? And then what is the plan to get there? Those are the questions we want to wrestle with this morning. Because here's what I know. Those who want to be more, want to do more for Christ and be more for him and look more like a thriving kind of Christian. They want that and yet they're frustrated with it. And most often those that want it and yet are frustrated are lacking one clear thing. And that is a goal of what they're shooting for in the Christian life. They've got no clear picture or no end game, no vision of what their life can look like. So I'm going to start with this. I stole it from Stephen Covey. It's not just his. I think this is a biblical idea. To thrive, you and I need to start with the end in mind. If you and I are going to thrive in the Christian life, then we've got to have the end in mind. We've got to understand clearly of where God wants to lead us, and then we can work our way there. Let me give an example. There's been plenty of goals in my life that I've missed. Uh, there's been plenty of opportunities where God has used goals to motivate me. I'm going to share one from you. I'm reliving because my son's this age now. But in fifth grade, I was playing basketball. Well, I guess you could call it playing basketball. And in the rec league, the coach had all five of us playing defense. But then when we went down and had the ball, the four other teammates would go and run the offense. And I was the guy that stood at half court and waited for the other team to get the ball and was preventing any fast breaks. What that meant was you weren't good enough to touch the basketball. That's what the translation was. And just picture, this is what my game experience was. I loved defense at that point because I got to move and do stuff. And then when we had the ball, I'm like looking around the crowd. Holy cow, this is embarrassing. This is really awful. And so we moved that summer. We moved a lot growing up. And my parents said, they always ask, what do you want in the new house? And I said, I just want a flat driveway. I want a flat driver where I can practice basketball because I don't want to relive that experience again. Well, they found a house with a flat driveway. And I, I dedicated myself from fifth grade to sixth grade the entire summer. All I did is I ate and I slept and I played basketball. Hours and hours and hours. My goal was to no longer to be the guy that didn't get to touch the ball. That was my goal. And it that one vision, that one embarrassing season was all I needed to get a clear picture of where I needed to go. And I went from being the worst player on the team, I scored zero points that year, it helps if you touch the ball, to being the leading scorer on my team the next year. Because God motivated me with an end vision of where I needed to be, and it moved me forward. Guys, the same principle applies to our spiritual life. The same thing applies. 
If we get enough pressure to say, listen, there's a better end product than where we're heading to now, then God can use that to change our lives. If you've got your Bibles, turn to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3. We've been walking through this uh, book, and this book has got so much rich stuff on how to live this thrive life, doesn't it? So we're going to pick up in chapter 3, starting in verse 10, and let God's Word teach us how we too can start with the end in mind. And this is what he says. Paul's writing to the book and uh, to the church in Thessalonica, and he says this, Night and day we prayed most earnestly that we would see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. He's saying, listen, in order to thrive, you don't just have faith. He said, you have faith. You put your faith in Jesus Christ. But if you're really going to live the thrive life, you got to add something to faith. I can't tell you how many people I talk to, not just in the community, but in churches that say, hey, listen, I got saved X amount of years ago. I got saved in VBS. Hey, I came to a relationship with God at this date. And then the end of their story stops right there. They've got nothing to add to the narrative other than God saved me and I'm waiting for him to come back and get me. Can I tell you there's so much more to thriving in the Christian life than that being the end of the story. The question ought to be, well, what is God doing in your life today? What's God doing now? He's not passively waiting for you to step into heaven. He's got things for us to do and to be today. Today. So Paul says, listen, you need to add to your faith to be moving towards a goal, but not just any goal, to the right goal. So Paul lays it out for us. He continues in the passage here. He's going to make it crystal clear what the goal ought to be for you and I. And this is what he says. Verse, skip down to verse 13. He says this. May he, talking about God, may he strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. He's saying, listen, I want to give you a picture of what the end product of your life and my life, the goal that you and I ought to have is that we will, remember we referenced this a few weeks ago, Paul's still talking about this. He's saying, envision yourself standing before God the Father and we will all be there one day. He said, envision standing there before God the Father. Remember we talked about who's going to be with you because you're influencing your life. Now he's saying, listen, imagine you're standing there before God the Father and you can feel confident and clean and blameless in his sight. Wouldn't that be a great way to live your life? He's saying, listen, in order to thrive, you got to start with the end of mind. And guys, the end of this life, that's it. That we will stand before him. And he wants us to be able to stand there with confidence and a clear conscience. Now, does that mean we'll never sin? No. Does that mean we'd have nothing in our closet? No. Does that mean we would just uh, live a perfect life from this point forward? No. But what it means is you found uh, the desire to follow God so compelling that it became the all-consuming passion of your life. That's what it means. See, God's goal for your life, whether you realize it or not, is for you to thrive. And for me to thrive, for us to be like the scripture says, to be blameless and holy in the presence of God, our father. God wants for us to leave a legacy of lives changed when we move on from this earth, that there will be a lasting impression on the lives of other people. God wants that for you and I. And God wants that for us. And so he tells us, listen, start with the end of mind. Think about what it's going to look like when this life's over. You got to start with the end in mind to thrive. So here's cool. This is a cool thought. You start there 
And then what you do is you reverse engineer your life from that point. Does that make sense? Reverse engineer means you take something that's a finished product and you break it apart and you figure out how it works because somebody's already made it. That's reverse engineering. The Chinese are great at it. We invent something, we make something, they take it, they make it cheaper. And then they start making it. That's reverse engineering. Let me give you a better example. My son's into the Terminator movies. I don't know how he started liking Terminator. You know the Terminator, right? All right. So the Terminator was reverse engineered. Cyberdyne systems, right? They found the Terminator arm and the chip, and they took the arm and the chip, and they reverse engineered, and they started creating what? Terminators. Come on, y'all. Terminator. That is Arnold, yeah. So God's saying, listen, start with the end in mind. You start with the Terminator and work your way back. Start getting a picture in your mind of what, when you're standing there before the Father and He's talking to you and He's loving on you and He's telling you how proud He is of you. You start with that picture and you start working back and start deciding what decisions need to be made today and this week and this month and the, and the direction that your life's going to be so that your life will end up where you want it to be when you're standing before Him. We do this already. We do this with our finances. This isn't completely foreign to us. We say, I heard a lot of people say, hey, I want to retire by the time I'm 40. I'm like, good luck. I'm 42. I want to retire every time I'm 50. I want to retire every time I'm 60. Okay. Well, if you're literally legitimate about that kind of a statement and that kind of goal, then what you do is you start reverse engineering your finances to get to that point, don't you? Well, I've got to save X amount of dollars this year and at this rate. And if I do that for 20 or 30 years, then if the market stays the same or this stays the same, then I'll end up with X amount of dollars and I can live on that for the rest of my life. That's reverse engineering your finances, isn't it? Everybody done that? That's what I thought. <laughs> FPU class is coming up in the fall. You should take it. I should too. See, the same concept is true for us spiritually. I, I think it's okay to say, hey, God, where do you want me to be when this life's all over and I'm standing before you? What are the kind of things do I want to hear you say to me? What kind of, what kind of person do I want to represent before you? I'm going to challenge you guys. I'm going to, I believe this passage is challenging all of us. What do you want God to say? And what do you need to change in order to hear him say that? What do you want to hear God say to you when you're standing before him? And what will need to change in your life, in my life, in your schedule, in my schedule, in your priorities, in my priorities, in your passions, in my passions? If those, if they really want to stand before him with a clean conscience, holy and blameless, and done all that he asked us to do, then what's got to change? That's the question. I can tell you this. God wants us there more than we want to be there. And I also can tell you this. God wants to help us get there. There ain't a single one of us that are going to get there by trying hard. There isn't a single one of us that are going to get there because we're really disciplined. There's not a single one of us that are going to get there by self-effort. What it takes is a cooperation on your part and my part to, to move and groove with the power of the Holy Spirit and let Him influence our lives. And if we let Him do that, then we'll end up where He wants us to be. Let's keep reading. God wants us there. Here's how we get there. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you in how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. 
Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. For you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. See, here's what's going on. Uh, Paul had um, uh, written and, and back and forth. And, and so they had some questions seemingly that they had written to Paul or sent by messenger to Paul. Hey, we've got some gray areas in our church or there's some moral issues we're not really clear on. Hey, Paul, you're only with us a month. So we've got some things we're not sure how it's supposed to go. So will you answer all these specifics for us? And you'll notice in the text, Paul doesn't answer a single one of those specifics. Paul doesn't get in all of the details of living the Christian life. He doesn't go case by case and yes, they're right and yes, you're wrong and all this back and forth. He says, listen, I'm going to give you a credo. I'm going to give you a, a principle. I'm going to give you um, something to live by that can never go wrong. I'm going to give you a code to live by. He says, does it please God? Listen to what he said there. As for the other matters, brothers and sisters, we instruct you in how to live in order to please God. He's saying, listen, this is the only thing you got to worry about. This is the only question you've got to ask. If you're going towards the goal, then this is the one code, the one motto, the one thing that will keep you on course every single time. And it's the question you and I have got to learn to ask and listen to the Holy Spirit when he asks us is when he says, hey, does this please me? Now, that sounds really simple, doesn't it? I mean, that's it. Does it please God? That's a very simple concept to understand. And yet I know very, very few of us that live by that motto. And it might cause us to ask questions like this. Well, how will I really spend my time if I'm trying to please God? What am I going to do with the resources and the time and the talents God's given me if I really want to please God? Or I might say things like this. Well, I used to say, well, it's really not that bad of a thing to do. But the question that might be resonating in your head at that moment would be, but does it please God? Nobody's going to know. Nobody's going to find out. There's no real victim here. So I'm going to continue down this road. But does it please God? See, that's really the defining question for you and I, if we're going to thrive, is we start living by that motto. We start living according to that principle, that one ideal. That's the one goal. Remember the businesswoman and the mother and all these people, they have a goal and the athlete has a goal. Listen, our one goal, if we're going to live the Christian life, is does it please God? And if we can live by that one thing, we will end up, that end vision, we will find it, we'll achieve it by the grace of God, we'll be there. I call this the thrive moment. I consider this like the defining moment in someone's life after you've accepted Jesus Christ. This is it. This is the one moment. You remember the circle I drew a few weeks back when we talked about kids and infants and children and adults and parents, spiritual maturity growth in that circle there? And I said the line going from being lost and dead in your sins and finding life in Jesus Christ and become a babe in Christ, that is the critical line, right? That, that separates those who go to heaven and those who go to hell. And by putting your faith in Jesus Christ, it's the single greatest decision you could ever make by trusting him for your sins. Then the next greatest line you could ever cross is going from a child to an adult. From caring solely about your own needs and your own wants and your own desires to starting to put something else ahead of that. That's this line right here. When we say, listen, it's not about pleasing me or pleasing someone else or, 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 or anything like that. It's about pleasing God. 
That's the line. That's the defining moment. That's the thrive moment. I think about people in the Bible. Um, their goal is to please God. See, the thrive goal is to please God first above all things. I think about people like Noah, and you think, how could Noah hear something from God and then for a hundred years build a boat, though, there, though there's people ridiculing him and under, misunderstanding him, and he's faithful to the task for a hundred years. How could he possibly do that? And then I think about Daniel. He says, listen, I'm going to keep praying even though the, the edict said not to pray. And I'm going to follow God. I'm going to do what pleases God, even though it might mean I get thrown into a lion's den or a fiery furnace. How could Abraham take his son when God said, go sacrifice him on Mount Moriah? How could he go to the place where he was willing to do that? You could go on and on in the biblical examples. Obviously, the ultimate one is how could Jesus Christ willingly and sacrificially lay down his life, being tortured and killed on our behalf? Here's how they can do that. They've already decided. They've already decided. Those weren't spur-of-the-moment decisions. Those weren't day-of decisions. That wasn't like finger in the wind and I think I'll go with God and please God this time. They had figured out long before those moments of crisis came, those moments of decisions come. And and believe me, guys, we don't get to pick when they come. They just come. They had decided long before the moment of truth that they were going to live a life in such a way that they were going to please God first. And if they're saying, listen, I'm going to please God first, and then whatever the consequences may be, I'll take them. Whatever the pain that may come because of that, I'll take it. Because I've already decided I'm going to please God first and foremost in my life. And when we make that choice and we have no exceptions to that rule, we're living the thrive life. We're living the thrive life. How do you get to that place? I mean, I hear those examples. I don't know about you. Abraham, he's a stud. Daniel, he prayed three times a day for like an hour. Stud. How am I going to get to the place where I'm following God unequivocally, whatever he says, if it pleases him, great. If it brings me harm, that's okay, because I've already decided I'm going to please him first. How do we get there? Well, did you notice what he said in the text? He said, we instructed you on how to live a life that pleases God. We instructed you. You know what this means? There's a process to it. You and I aren't going to get where those guys were overnight. God's saying, listen, this is a lifelong journey. And if you will uh, commit yourself to instruction and the discipline and the the humility to follow God day in and day out, then there's a process that will take place as we submit ourselves to the authority and will of God that he will work it out in our lives over time. Through pain, through crisis, through turmoil, through good times, through bad times. God says, I'll work it in you if you're open to the process. We all have to be taught it. Not, it's not instinctive for any single one of us. I've heard so many people, well, I just follow my heart. I just follow my conscience. That's baloney. That's a bunch of junk. This heart and those hearts are in, and instinctively and naturally wicked, selfish. God says, listen, the Thessalonians had to learn this, and you and I have to learn this. We have to be taught and instructed on how to live this life. 
You let the spirit of God and the word of God and the people of God all collide into one beautiful uh, a growth process in your life. When you say, when God says, hey, I want you to do this and it's clear in his word, you do this or you don't do that. You say, well, he said it, it's done. And when the Holy Spirit says, hey, I want you to go do this or I want you to stop doing that and it's clearly the voice of God, you know what you do? You do what he says. And when you get around other believers and they're living a certain way and you go, you know what? I think that pleases God more than what I'm doing pleases God. Then you adjust your life to what they're doing. That's what it looks like. And I tell you what, that is a messy, long process. I mean, it has taken a long time and I've still got a long way to go. And you do all this, guys, because you've decided that God's goal is your goal for your life. I mean, it starts there, doesn't it? It starts with a, a point of decision, this thrive moment when we go, you know what? I'm tired of living for me. And I'm going to try this thing where I please God. And I'm not going to just try it. I'm all in with it. I mean, I believe life is really about him anyway, and it's not really about me. And I really think that if I please God, that somehow, some way, even though I'm sacrificing some things, I'm going to be happier, more fulfilled, more content, more full of joy, more full of peace, more full of love on that side of the, of the line than on the other side of the line. So we said the thrive goal is to please God first. Can you make it your goal? Well, I make it my goal to please God first. I mean, that's really what it all comes down to. And I can tell you, this is a commitment like you make a commitment to pay for your mortgage. We made a commitment to pay for our mortgage eight years ago. That was a big decision. That was multiple thousands of dollars decision. And then every month I got to go back to that decision and say, I'm in again. Don't I? A decision to say, listen, I'm going to live to please God and not myself. It starts with one signing on the line. I, I, this is, I'm all in. I'm committed to this. I'm going forward in this. This is what I'm about. And then it takes a, a daily sometimes going back to that decision to say, you know what, God? I'm still in. I still want to please you today. Man, I made a blown it yesterday. I might have let you down bad yesterday, God. But today, God, I want to, I want to live to please you. I want to please you. We don't learn that watching TV. We don't learn that being lazy. We don't learn that by osmosis. We don't learn that by just it coming to us in a dream. I wish I'd, it was, I wish it was that easy. It takes some effort on our part. And can I just challenge you? We've got a small group that meets here through the summer on uh, Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock. It could be more convenient. If you're saying, listen, I want to step into that. I want to start pleasing God, but I need to get around some of the people of God. There's a flyer in the hallway on that black table. You need to take one and show up next Sunday morning at 9 and start start the process of letting God, uh, you, you putting him first. You know what I love about this passage? It shows us that none of one, not a single one of us are done. Did you hear what he said? He said, listen, uh, you know, we want you to instruct you in how to live in order to please God. In fact, you are living. Now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this what? More and more. Here's what I know. I can please God more with my life than I am today. I know that to be true. If you come and live with me before a day, you know that to be true. 
I can please God more today than I'm pleasing him right now. So what that tells you, you know, when we say in our cards and we get it on signs, and I really believe it is, the, it is the really the heartbeat of this church is there's no perfect people allowed here. That's because we're all more and more mode. We can all learn to please God more and more. That God isn't done with a single one of us. He's roughing off. He's cutting off. He's smoothing off bumps and, and things that are just ugly in our lives if we let him. You know, um, sometimes I get to see things you guys don't, and it's really a, uh, a joy to, to see them. And so I want to share, I get to share these with you. Um, we have a, or we have a real passion to reach three groups of people and help three groups of people in our community. That's marriages and families. That's one. That students is the second one. And then thirdly, we want to help people that need recovery. And that's just been a passion really for about a year at our church's heart. And we're making plans. We're starting ministries. We're doing that. Well, one of the things that we're doing is uh, starting a recovery ministry. And so you guys don't know this, but there's been a small group of people that have a very clear picture of what the end looks like. I mean, there's a real calling in their lives. And when they stand before God one day, he's going to say, listen, you were used to help people that needed recovery to break free from addictions and problems and issues in their past, their codependencies. And so they've already kind of got a picture in the mind of what this, what's going to happen on that day, right? At least a part of it. And so what they've been doing, this has been awesome. Kathy Berry, uh, Dwayne and Sandy Hamilton, and, and, and Nathan's been a part. Listen, these guys have in, in, uh, just jumped in with both feet in order to fulfill that mission. I've seen them buy books and start reading books and start learning. They're going places and learning from other churches. They're going every week on Wednesday night to the Potter's House, which is an addiction recovery place for guys that have just hit rock bottom. And like they're helping them do celebrate recovery over there. And every time I show up, which hadn't been too often, but every once in a while when I show up on Wednesday night, they are fully engaged with those guys. And here's what I see happening in their life. All four of them. They are growing and becoming like Christ more and more. Because they've already decided we're going to do this to please God. And because this pleases God, we're going to pour all of our heart and all of our energy into it. And I can't tell you the, the, the changes I see in their lives. I can't tell you how excited I am about when we start a recovery ministry in a couple months from now. You'll hear more about that. The lives that are going to be impacted and changed because they were willing to say, you know what? This is going to please God more than myself. The sacrifices that we'll have to make in order to get this thing off the ground, the, the, the effort and the labor and the struggle in order to, to deal with messy lives. They've just said, we're in. We'll, we'll take it. This is like a 52 week a year ministry. You don't stop and take breaks. They're like, we're in. And I can't help but think that's what it looks like to thrive. That's what it looks like to thrive. So I just want to, I just want to ask as we start to uh, contemplate where we are in this whole thing. Have you had a thrive moment like that? Have you had a defining moment like that? Where you said, listen, I, I want to live to please God. I'm not going to choose me or my boss or my spouse or anybody else anymore. I've decided I'm going to live to please the one from now on. Have you had that moment? Decide today. Don't decide. Don't wait for the moment of crisis. Don't decide until there's, there's life and death hanging on the line. You can decide today that your life goal will be to please 
God, the God who loves you and made you, created you and redeemed you through his son, Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him. I want to please him because there's where life is. So he gave his life for you willingly, sacrificially, completely. And now he's asking you to give your life back, to lay down your life for him, to say it's not about pleasing me, it's about pleasing you. Let's pray together. God, you uh, you want us to make this decision. God, you've asked us to, to live a life that pleases you. But see, here's the thing, God. We recognize that it's really not so much for your benefit as it is for our benefit. That a life that is decided to please you is a life worth living. It's a thrive kind of life. It's a life without regrets. It's a life without shame and condemnation. It's a life without the burden of sin weighing us down day after day. When we say yes to you and I want to please you and I believe Jesus died for me and I want to step into that and live my life for him, we get so much and we have to give up so very little. So, Father, I believe you got people in this room that need to make that thrive decision today. They've been hanging on to something. Been hanging... They just, they are addicted to controlling their own life. Or there's a habit or a hang-up they've been unwilling to let go of. But God, today you've made it clear, it's time to let go. And it's time to let you. If that's your decision this morning, you just simply say, God... I let go. I want to I want to live my life not for me, but for you. I believe Jesus Christ is the son of the living God. I believe he came and he died on a cross for me. And my sin and my shame was put upon him so that I could be set free. And I put my faith in him. God, now as I journey with you, make me the man, the woman, the teenager, the child that I was created to be, to thrive as I live for you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.